Alrighty, let's kick it off. Um, we're going to go outside of England to start off a big European football weekend. Uh, we're going to go to France for the Mets versus PSG game. Uh, this one goes off at Mets, 2.45 Eastern today on Friday. Uh, newly promoted Mets are plus 6.50 on the three-way. The Parisian Giants are minus 2.50 to get it done. And the draw is plus 3.85. On the Asian, PSG is minus one and a half at around plus 120. Mets is plus one and a half at a, a significant chalk, about minus 150. Um, Mets is coming off a 3-0 loss, while PSG is coming off a 4-0 win. And you can look at this a lot of different ways, but this, at the end of the day, is an enormous spot for PSG. Uh, they own Mets. Since the 2014 season, uh, they're 6-0-0. When you look at the last 10 meetings between the two teams, PSG is 8-1-1 with a combined score of 27-7. They've won by two or more in six of those eight games. Um, and when you look, again, you look at the last 10, they've scored two or more goals in eight in a row and three or more goals in seven of the past eight. So we're talking complete domination um, as expected, right? You look at the last uh, 17 meetings of the sides, PSG is 12-2-3. That's dating way back into the early 2000s and late 90s even. The last loss, if you're trying to find the last loss between um, this PSG side and Mets, it goes all the way back to May 2006 was the last time PSG lost to Mets. Um, let's look at the last five. PSG, you got a 5-0 home victory. You have a 5-1 away victory, a 3-2 away victory, a 2-0 home victory, and a 3-0 home victory. So what are you seeing, right? You're seeing a lot of goals. You're seeing PSG dominance. None of this is surprising. Uh, Mets are the League 2 champions, so they're newly promoted. Happy to be here. Classic park the bus scenario. Um, you know, a draw would be an enormous result. It would be the biggest result that the, uh, you know, in the club uh, for the year. Um, and, and, and actually in the recent history as well, other than, of course, winning League Two last year. Um, so this is a huge spot for PSG. We're going to look to use PSG as a, as a nice pivot to start off the weekend. But this is also a game with a lot of goals. And, you know, you look at PSG, and of course we know they score a lot. And I just mentioned some of the stats, right? They scored two or more in, in the last eight meetings and three or more in, in, in seven in the past eight you look at goals, um, you know, on this ground, and it's it's just big time. Like I said, they won 5-1 to one the last time out, 3-2 the time before that, 3-2 the time before that. So you see a lot of goals. They're not keeping clean sheets, but you're seeing a lot of goals. Um, Mets, you know, is if they have played relatively loose this year. Four goals, four, four against. 3-0 loss, reveal victory, and then the 1-1 draw. PSG, no surprise here. Ten goals so far on the, on the short season. Uh, the 3-0 victory, the 1-2 loss, and the 4-0 victory. This this ground sees a lot of goals. Plain and simple, this Mets team is not going to be able to defend against PSG. Um, so, you, you know, you're going to look, I mean, I think off the, off the jump, right, you're going to see you got to count at least two, at least two, most likely three goals from the, from the Parisian Giants right off the bat within the understanding that if Mets can get one, um, this is this is a big spot on the over. So there's nothing here that suggests to me that this isn't a big over spot, um, especially when you add in all the injuries with PSG. Um, you have some defensively, but more importantly, you have, um, you know, you got Mbappe out up top, you got Cavani out, and a lot of the, the reason why the line has come down to where it is in the minus 250 range as opposed to, you know, minus three, minus 400, et cetera, is because of that fact alone that, um, you know, you, you have these guys out and and you don't think that the goal scoring may be there as much, but that's just simply not true. I mean, this this PSG team is spectacular. You know, you, you still have Angel Di Maria and Verratti and Paredes and, and all the guys, but most importantly, I think, um, Chubo Moting up front, coming off the hat trick, full of confidence. I mean, he's seeing this as his chance to uh, to step in. You know, it looks like Neymar is going to be gone. And obviously with Cavani and Mbappe out, 
Uh, Chuba Moting is the big striker. He looked incredible last week. There's no reason why him, in form, full of confidence, isn't going to have another big game. I have him to get the brace, which, again, is two goals um, at minimum today, especially, again, in the absence of Mbappe and Cavani. And then lastly, you know, you look at um, some of the defenders. PSG still has the guys back there with Marquinhos and Thomas Mounier. And, and you know, it doesn't look like uh, Kipembe will play. But still, with Juan Bernard on the left side, I mean, they're still going to do a good job. I think there is at least one goal on this Met side. But PSG is going to dominate this game. They're going to have full possession. And, uh, you know, you look at Mets, just got crushed to Angiers. How are they going to be able to stop this PSG side and inform Chubo Moting and, and all the players up front? So um, I'm actually going to stay away on the minus one and a half goals here. I, again, you know, it, it feels like maybe something late. You never know. We, again, we saw three, two victories, two of the last three times here. I uh, don't want to, you know, rely on the past too much, but I think we have seen a tendency from PSG to, you know, if, if they're ahead uh, by two goals, they're, they're not as motivated. The, the, the gas pedal isn't down as much, so to speak. And, you know, they can't give up the late meaningless goal because they know that they're still winning the game and still getting all three points. So we're going to stay away from the win to know. We're going to stay away from the minus one and a half. Uh, the first half, you know, you, you could play it. It's around pick them. Um, I think we're going to pass just due to the uncertainty in the side. And, you know, it, there's no real good, you know, half history here between PSG and Mets. You have seen a lot of, you know, full dominance from a, from a game perspective, not as much on the first half. Um, so this is going to be a, a, a bigger play on the money line, on the three-way money line. Very small draw protection. Just have to be disciplined there. But I uh, love this spot for PSG and love them to sort of start off a bunch of our uh, European action this weekend. Let's go. Next up, we got Chelsea. We got Sheffield United at Stamford Bridge. Huge spot for Chelsea. Huge opportunity for Chelsea to run right here. Uh, Chelsea coming in minus 290 or so on the three-way. Sheffield plus 800. Uh on the three-way and the draw at plus 395 on the Asian. Chelsea comes in minus one and a half. That's priced up to about plus 120, while Sheffield comes in plus one and a half at about minus 145. This is a huge spot for Chelsea. I'll get into why, but first let's look at uh, previous results. Um, Chelsea's coming in off the heels of a 3-2 victory in Norwich. Uh, uh, exciting game. Saw Tammy Abraham score twice. A great young player for Chelsea, as well as Mason Mount, who scored a beautiful individual goal. Uh, Sheffield's coming in off a 1-2 loss to Leicester. They actually played pretty well, but there was a wonder strike from Leicester's Harvey Barnes late that sealed the three points for Leicester. Um... We don't have a ton of head-to-head history here. Uh, the last meeting, as, as, again, Sheffield is newly promoted, the last meeting was back in 2006, and, and in that season, Chelsea won 2-0 at home and 3-0 away. But I think we'll throw that out because, obviously, that's you know a different era, different players, etc. What we do have here, though, is, is quite a bit of substantial history in terms of uh, Chelsea against newly promoted opposition. And so we're going to start with um, more of a longer-term look. In, in the past 80 games against newly promoted opposition, Chelsea have won 66, they've drawn 11, and they've lost three, uh, which is absolutely shocking stuff. They have never lost in August, 10 wins um, and, and one draw. So I, I think sort of what that says is early in the season – Chelsea is, is sort of known for establishing dominance against teams that are on paper worse than them, plain and simple. And and we can see that even further when you look at in the past five years in match weeks one through six, obviously this being match week four, the top six, the big six against newly promoted sides have won 21 and drawn five with no losses. With 17 of those 21 uh, wins, coming by two or more goals. So we're talking about complete dominance. We're talking about really an ownership of the newly promoted teams here. 
um, which it, it, no matter how you're looking at this, it just gets stronger and stronger. I mean, again, we look at Chelsea at home against newly promoted sides in the last 10. Seven wins, three draws, zero losses. All seven of those victories coming by two or more goals. So what we're seeing here is not only are they winning against newly promoted, but they're winning big. And, you know, I think when you look at how Frank Lampard is getting his Chelsea team, you know, very, you know, sort of on the front foot and looking to attack and being aggressive, um, you really see a lot of goals here. Uh, you know, again, looking at it another way, over the last three seasons, Chelsea are seven and two at home to newly promoted sides, each of those victories coming by, by at least two goals. Um, you know, I, this just feels like one of those games that if they score early, um, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna run riot here. And you know, I I definitely think they're open at the back. I think we've seen that. I think you know Frank Lampard is that something he's trying to fix. And you got Aspilicueta back there, who's obviously gonna want to be a leader in that respect. But you know, you, you, even with perhaps letting in a goal. This Chelsea team is just so explosive right now offensively as they're letting the young guys go. They're letting Tammy Abraham and, and Mason Mount and Kristen Pulisic play. And I think Frank Lampard is understanding you know, what he saw as a player, which is when young guys are ready, they have the confidence, they have the belief, they're in the first team. Let them go. We don't need to subscribe to these old notions of put in Giroud and put in all these you know older players because they're established. No, let's get the young guys in there. Let's play aggressive attacking football and uh when you look at how confident these guys are there's just a lot of goals in this Chelsea side on the on the and the last thing I'll say about Chelsea at home they simply just really don't lose there uh famous last words right no they just don't lose there uh last year 19 games obviously they went 12-6-1 and that one loss uh, I believe was to Manchester City um you know this is again this is one of those Chelsea or draw spots uh, obviously, you know, big, big spot for Chelsea, though, as um, Sheffield. Yeah, they're just going to park the bus. This is a, uh, you know, we talk about it a lot, right? This is a classic park the bus spot. Um, you know, they, they, they're, they're an okay team. They, they, you know, they, they're likely to get relegated, but um, they've been okay this year. The one one draw against Bournemouth and the one win against Palace, and then the loss last week, obviously, but they're just completely outmatched here. Um, and they, they have been consistently. I mean, you look at, you know, you, you go to the last 22 meetings in London against London teams. And obviously that would be, you know, Chelsea, Tottenham, Crystal Palace, et cetera, um, Arsenal. Two wins, five draws, 15 losses. They, they just they just don't get it done. And, and you know, you, you think about this team um, – they played Tuesday in the Carabao Cup. They, they fielded a strong lineup. I mean, they're already outmatched basically at every position from a talent, from a roster perspective. Then you're throwing in a huge fitness disadvantage due to the fact that they played midweek. Um, yeah, gosh, this just – this has 4-0. This has, has, has 4-1 written on it. Um, they were okay on the road last year, 11-7-5. But, again, that's against championship side. So – you know, it's just such a gulf and such a gap in, in, in level that it's it's hard to really say, okay, well, you know, they had 11 wins last year, therefore they're a big threat here. I just, you know, look, no matter how you cut this, um, big spot for Chelsea. Huge money line opportunity that we'll be on in a big way. Um, we'll have a bit of the minus one and a half as well. And, and I do, the, the first goal is coming early. I mean, this Chelsea team is playing such attacking football that, you know, they're gonna get they're gonna get ahead in the first half. They're gonna get ahead early, and I think once they do, uh, they're really gonna run riot here. So all the trends they couldn't be stronger. Um, we're gonna trust them to continue, and we're gonna trust that this Frank Lampard Chelsea side uh, is really starting to hit his stride, and and really starting to uh, to see a lot of confidence from the key players up front, which is you know what's gonna keep Chelsea competitive this year. Next up, thanks for coming. How are you? We got the best team in the Premier League, the best team in all of club football, Manchester City, one of the historically great teams of all time, rolling once again. Uh, City, obviously, a huge favorite here at the Etihad. 
against Brighton, minus 1,200 or so on the three-way. Brighton at 30 to 1. I'll say it that way instead of the plus 3,000, 30 to 1 with the draw at 10 to 1. A shocking price to see a draw in the world's most competitive league. I mean, this is a line that you see in, you know, Barcelona or PSG against one of the minnows of the of La Liga or of League One, respectively. Um, you don't really see these types of lines in the world's most competitive league, which can only be a testament to how special, how good, how unique, and how impressive this city team is. Where do we start? We know their results, 5-0 away to West Ham, 2-2 draw against Tottenham, which we're still upset about, and the 3-1 victory against Bournemouth last week. What is there really to say? They're on a 17-game Premier League unbeaten streak, 16 wins, one draw in those 17 games. At home to bottom six sides where Brighton is or or will be and, and was last year. Uh, in the last 10 games, they've won nine. They've drawn once, complete dominance, four of those nine wins by four, not three, four or more goals, with three of them by three or more goals. So we are seeing quite a bit when City uh, plays bottom six. We're seeing quite a bit of dominance, nothing nothing surprising or shocking there. Um I, I like to look at this stat that talks about in the last five seasons, match weeks one through six, which gives you a sense of how teams do to start the season off. Um, top six at home versus bottom six in the last five seasons, match weeks one through six. There have been 51 games that fit that criteria. 42 wins, seven draws, two losses. Dominance, dominance, dominance. Find a better word, but that's the word we're using because that sums it up. Look at Brighton. Um, not good. They lost 3-1, 3-0 opening day to Watford. Uh, 1-1 draw week two to West Ham. And then a, a, a 2-0 loss last week to the Saints. They're not a good road team. Plain and simple. Last year, they were the third worst on, uh, on the road in the Prem. Uh, three wins, four draws, 12 losses. They've never won away at City in nine attempts, two draws, seven losses, losing five in a row. Um, Bournemouth away at top six. Um, excuse me, Brighton away at top six. Um, zero wins, one draw, nine losses. Nothing good. Nothing Nothing uh, that, that even gets you worried or, or, or even makes you think that they have a chance in this game. Um, against Big Six, they've earned one point from 36 possible. That's one draw and 11 losses in the last 12. And they've in those 12 games, they've scored in just three of those games while conceding in every game. So they really don't score. They do concede. And uh, again, when you think about, you know, who is it, Glenn Murray or some of these guys up front, they're not, I mean, how are they going to score against City? And, and you know, you talk about park the bus, right? This is, let's park our entire existence at the back because Brighton, drawing here would be akin to them winning the Super Bowl in American football. So I just, there's, even on the counter, I mean, <laughs> you got Laporte, you got the guys playing so well at the back for City, and they mix it up with Mendy and, you know, obviously Kyle Walker being more of a winger. I mean, <laughs> I just don't see, uh, I don't see Brayton scoring. I don't see um, really any chance that this game is even close as, as it relates to, you know, one goal game or even two goal game, this is a blowout. Um, real quick, they've had five meetings since the 2017 season. Here's the scores. one four, uh, 4-1 City away, 1-0 City at home, 2-0 City at home, 3-1 City at home, 2-0 City away. That's a 12-2 scoreline. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say other than City's going to blow out Brighton. Um, the last thing is, is, you know, Brighton played Tuesday. They played in Europa League. Um, so, excuse me, they played in um, uh, Carabao Cup. So, gosh, I mean, <laughs> sort of like what I was saying with Chelsea, you know, they, they, they're outmatched dramatically here. And then you throw in the fact that they played midweek and there's a fitness edge here too. I mean, this is, this is blowout city. Um, 
you know, I, I think it's, it's interesting because a lot of, of, you know, professional bettors and a lot of just professional analysts in general would say you really can't lay, you know, two and a half goals in the Premier League. It's the most competitive league in the world. Well, as, as fascinating as it is to say it, um, yes, you can. And this is the spot to do it. What do we know about Pep? He never takes the foot off the gas. What do we also know about City? They're, they're the ten, uh, last 10 minute specialists, meaning they break you down so much in the first 80 minutes of the game that by the time you get to the last 10 minutes, they're almost good for a goal every single game against anyone because of that constant pressure, constantly knocking on the door. And then finally the door opens late. So you're looking at that. You know they're going to get a goal early. You know they're going to get a goal late. So you're telling me that from call it the 20th minute to the 80th minute, we can't get one more goal? I, I mean, th- this 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 is a blowout. I know that's easy to say, but it really is. City's going to win this game 4-0. City's going to win this game 5-0. City's going to – this game is as much of a mismatch as you're going to see all season – And yes, that's sort of scary because, gosh, mismatch, easy, blowout, et cetera. Well, this is a case where it does apply. We're not talking about Tottenham. We're not talking about Chelsea. We're not even talking about Liverpool, who, when they're ahead, you know, maybe aren't as inclined to keep it going. We're talking about Manchester City. We're talking about a team that, you know, scores nine goals and eight goals in FA Cup ties because they don't care. Pep does not care. And what do we like to talk about? Goal differential is the tiebreaker. Liverpool is not going to be dropping points this year. And so Pep's going to sit there and go, look, we are laying it on as much as we possibly can. We don't care who we're playing. We don't care about being nice. We're Manchester City, and we're scoring as many goals as we can. This is a blowout. We're on City first half. We're on City game minus two and a half. Yes, it sounds crazy. We are on it, and we are on City to record the shutout victory. This is a justified line. It's a crazy line. It's a justified line. This is a 4-0-5-0 type city victory. Let's go city. Let's keep it up. We roll right along into Burnley, Liverpool. Burnley at home plus 850 on the three-way. Liverpool about minus 300. And the draw coming in at about plus 390, plus 395. On the Asian, Liverpool is minus one and a half at around even money, with Burnley coming in at plus one and a half at around minus 120. We're actually going to start here looking at Burnley. Um, what, a, what a start to the season they've had. Um, yeah, they only have four points. That's true. But they crushed Southampton 3-0 at home. They lost narrowly to Arsenal um, 2-1. And then they drew last Sunday against Wolves, even though they led for 96 minutes and only you know, a, a stoppage time penalty in the seventh minute drew Wolves equal. So they actually are playing good football. They're very organized. And they're a well-managed team um, who, you know, well, probably just due to their organization and their and their structure, uh, should avoid relegation this year and are actually in line for a decent year. Um, with that being said, um, this is not a good spot for them against Liverpool. Um, you start with, well, well, actually, we'll start here. Last year at home, they were 15th in the league out of 20 teams. They were seven wins, two draws, 10 losses. It's really not very good. Um, but it really does get pretty, pretty grim and, and pretty dark uh, against Liverpool. Well, and against top six in general. So coming into the season, Burnley are 3-4-17. and 17, Three wins, four draws, 17 losses at home to sides who finish in the top six. However, if you want to go a little more recent, um, if, you, if you take out the first seven games, which really had a different uh, team than what, what we're seeing now from this Burnley team, um, in those in those last 17 games, one win, two draws, 14 losses. So not only are we seeing poor performance, but we're seeing a downtrend in the poor performance. We're seeing a, a general sort of decrease over time in their ability to get it done at home against top six. Furthermore, you look at over the past two seasons, 
Um, one win, zero uh, draws, five losses against top six. That that win is coming against Spurs. Um, but, you know, again, going back, when you look at you know, the last 14 matches in this spot against big six, they've netted just seven goals. Um, so they really don't score here in these kinds of spots. And, you know, you look at that and then you say, okay, well, how are they going to score against one of the, the world's best defenses in Liverpool and the reigning uh, player of the year, Virgil van Dyke. Um, so you, so you look at all this and it's, and it's, and it's not great. Um, but it gets worse. So you look at them in the Prem in general. They've lost four of their last eight games by two or more goals. Um, we talked about their record at home, the 1-2-14 and 14 against top six. Um, you, you, know, you, you keep going, and you look at that stat I like. Uh, bottom half teams versus top six in match weeks one through six start the season. 13 wins, 19 draws, 70 losses, with 37 of those 70 losses coming by two or more goals. Head-to-head, not much better. Liverpool, or excuse me, Burnley have lost eight of their last ten against Liverpool in the Premier League. Um, one draw, one win, eight losses. Um, they've won just one of their last seven Premier League games in general. One win, two draws, four losses. And at home to top six, one win, one draw, and eight losses in their past ten. Not good against Liverpool head-to-head. Uh, I'll give you some quick sort of recent results. Um... Liverpool won 4-2 at home in the last meeting, 3-1 away the prior, 2-1 away the prior, 1-1 draw, and 2-1 at home. So obviously that's a you know 4-1 record for Liverpool in their last five. Brighton, or excuse me, Burnley did win the next game, so six games ago, 2-0, but then you keep going, a 4-0 Liverpool win, 4-0 Liverpool win, etc., etc. Um... So obviously, you know, we are seeing dominance. We are seeing, you know, what, what we expect to see, frankly. Um, but then you look at Liverpool. And again, what more can be said about their form right now? Uh, we know how good they are at home. Uh, they're 13-5-1. and one, or Excuse me. We know how good they are on the road. Last year, they were 13-5-1. and one, So that's 13 wins, 5 draws, and 1 loss. Last year on the road, with the 1 loss being the City. They've won 4 of their last 5 visits to Burnley, as we talked about. They've won 12 straight Premier League games. No, not unbeaten in 12. They've won 12. 12, 0, and 0. They've never won 13. And if you don't think Jurgen Klopp and the team knows that, you're crazy. Because they are going to be all over the ability and, you know, this team's opportunity to make history. Um, because that's simply what they've been doing, right? I mean, you, you finished last year, 97 points, you don't win the league, that's historic. You do go and win Champions League, that's historic. I mean, this is a team that likes to be in the spotlight. Jurgen knows what's going on. Um, they definitely want to get this record. Furthermore, um, you know, that, again, that they've won 12 straight, right? Well, they're unbeaten in 20 straight. So that's 16 wins and four draws. Um and then even going back further, they just have they have one loss in the last 42 games. One loss in 42 games. I mean, we're talking about the Invincibles with Arsenal 0203 type stuff right now. And uh, what suggests to us that it's going to change? Absolutely nothing. The team is getting stronger. The front three are doing the best in the world. Bobby Firmino, Mo Salah, and Sadio Mane are now back in form after playing in cup competitions. This summer, the defense is spectacular. The midfield is excellent. I mean, yes, there are questions about goalkeeping, but, you know, again, Adriani's starting to get into it a little bit, get into a rhythm, get comfortable. And with how good the defense is, uh, he doesn't really have much to do back there anyway. Um, You know, a couple more I'll just throw out there real quick, away to bottom half. Teams with Liverpool in their last 10 games, win 10, draw zero lost zero. They've won six of those 10 by two or more goals. The only thing that I would say, because all this is saying, you know, hey, slam, you know, first half, minus one and a half, this is a big opportunity for them to, you know, take care of it from all angles. Um, A couple things are holding me back. So first, it's the fact that Burnley does, they really do have a great organizational, excuse me, a great defensive structure. They're extremely organized. This, This team um, knows how to play defensive football, and they know how to do it against top teams. Are they going to score? No, 
you know, are, are they going to produce offensive moments um, and big chances? Absolutely not. But they are going to play good defensive football, and that's what they're known for. And they're specifically known for it at home at Turf Moor. Um, so the reason I say that is in the past 12 games um, at home, there's been just six first-half goals combined between Burnley and their opponents. So they, they don't. They, there's not a lot of goals in the first half. And furthermore, you look at Liverpool, in three of their past four trips to Turf Moor, it's been goalless at halftime. So not only are we seeing um, Burnley not score, that's expected, we're seeing them keep the other team off the score sheet. And that suggests to me, um, you know, you look at that that first half trend and you just look at the, the nature of the team in general, there's not a, there's not a ton of goals here. Um, I think with Burnley's structure, you know, does Liverpool probably win this game by two? Yes. But, you know, I, the way that I'm looking at it is, you know, big, big spot for the Liverpool money line. Use it as a, you know, big, uh, you know, the final piece in, in, in parlays over the weekend, especially with the 1230 Eastern kick. Um, but more importantly, you know, I, I, I think um, this is a game with not a lot of goals in it. And what did you see Liverpool do? in more than half their games last season, keep a clean sheet. And obviously that's not off to the best start this year with the goalkeeping woes, but if there was any time to do it, it starts here against Burnley. This is clean sheet, uh, clean sheet central. This is win to nil central. Um, love, love, love Liverpool to win this game to nil. I mean, again, you look at Burnley, they just simply don't score seven goals in their last 14 matches against top six. I mean, that says it all. And by the way, we're talking about included in that top six, right? Our poorest, poorest defenses like Arsenal, like how Tottenham has been a little bit and like United. So (laughs) no matter how you cut this, not a lot of goals here. There will be goals from Liverpool. Um, they're winning this game. This is a 1-0 game. This is a 2-0 game. Um, Burnley is not scoring here. You, you look at the back, Van Dyke is going to be, um, you, you know, all over leading the back again. Adrian's doing better. Um, I just, I think that, you know, yes, the, Burnley's an organized side. That means that this isn't going to be a 3-0, 4-0 blowout. But this is a really good spot. Um, you know, for, for, for Liverpool to still win this game and, and for to still uh, win this game to nil and to do what they pride themselves on most, which is to record shutout victories. 2-0 Liverpool, big play on the money line, big play on the record a shutout win. Next up, next up, next up. Southampton, Manchester United, Saints at home, plus 280 on the three-way, United around even money, plus 105, and the draw coming in at plus 235. Uh, United, half-goal favorite on the Asian, uh, that's obviously expected with given the three-way pricing. Um, you look at Let's see. We'll start with United here. Um, I think we all know what happened last week. The penalty woes continue. That was a game that really shouldn't have even got to where it was in terms of it being close. United should have ran away with it. Um, You know, obviously Palace, to their credit, fought back and, 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 you know, played really actually good really quite well for the majority of the game. Um, but again, a, another missed penalty from United tells the story. And then a, a horrific um, goal allowed from D- David De Gea, who, who, you know, that felt like um, just sort of an anecdotal guess. That felt like maybe a two or three out of 100 uh, goal that goes in. No angle, um, you know, r- right at him and, and he lets it by. So... You know, you hesitate to call it um, a fluky loss because they did lose. And, 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 you know, Palace played well. But um, obviously another huge missed opportunity. And frankly, you know, if United really sort of sorted out this penalty issues, they could easily have nine points from three games right now. Um, 
Obviously, the, the Wolves game, same story. The 1-1 draw could have been 2-1 with the penalty converted. And then same thing in CP. So, you know, I think some people are ringing the bell on United um, that, you know, that there's trouble in paradise and that, you know, it's, it's not going well. But um, I, I'm of the other mind that, you know, these are, these are fixable issues. Um, you don't want to fall too in love with a side and, and with, with a team and, and, you know, apologize for them. But again, at the end of the day, um, y- y- look at mean reversion, right? You miss two penalties and, and penalties are, you know, high percentage chances. They're going to figure this out. I mean, th- this is one of those things that it's fixable. Um, and they need a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a little bit of leadership, I would say. Someone just to say, hey, you know, I'm taking over, whether Trashford or Pogba or, or someone else. But um, this is fixable. And, and I think it's, it starts with the game against the Saints. So let's, di- let's dive in. Um, United historically is great against Southampton. In all comps, they've won more uh, away games against Saints than any other team. That's 10 wins. Um, away at bottom six teams. Uh, United is 1-5, drawn two, lost three. Um, so that's actually a bit of an interesting stat. Um, you know, with that loss level being a little higher than we'd like. Um, but anyway, you, you keep going. And, you know, United, they're 6-2 and 3 away under Ollie Goldner Solskjaer. Um, and this is really, in a way, sort of dominated um, matchup. The home team is 3-5-7. Is in the last 15 meetings, that's three wins, five draws, seven losses in the last 15 Premier League meetings, um, which really, again, suggests to you that this is in a way dominated um, fixture. Uh, there is substantial draw bias here, and, and that's for several reasons. Number one, you look at just the history. Over the past three seasons, United have gone 3-3-0, three, three and oh, so three wins, three draws, no losses against Saints. And in their past five uh, games at St. Mary's, they've won three, drawn two, lost nil. So this really is a classic United draw spot. Um, and when you really sort of break it down, uh, it really, United really typically does have the Saints number. So in the last eight games at home versus Manchester United, Saints are 0-3-5. and That's three draws, five losses, winless in their last eight games against Manchester United. The last win, and, you know, sometimes I do hesitate bringing up last win because it is so long ago. And, of course, you know, I did it last week with Newcastle Tottenham saying, oh, they had it, you know, they had it won since I was born, right, 1990, 1991, whatever. And there it is, right? There's the history-breaking affair. So you look at that and it's, it's a little worrisome. But anyway, their last win was 2003 against United at home. So we're talking about an extended period of ownership here. <laughs> um, furthermore, you look at sort of the Man U has their number thesis, which in their last nine games against Man U, um, or excuse me, they've lost nine games against Man U after leading more than any other team against anyone in the history of the Premier League. And we had examples last year. Saints were up 1-0, they were up 2-0, and it was a 2-2 draw. S- same thing with the meeting before. That was in March, or that was in December of 18. The more recent affair in March 19, same thing. Saints up 1-0, lost 3-2 with the Lukaku 88-minute winner. So I think what you're seeing here is you know, they, they can't hold on to leads. They um, let up a little bit. And this United team looks to hit them on the counter to either equalize, to win the game, um, or, of course, to, 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 to clinch the draw. Uh, again, you know, as I talked about, you look at the last five at home against United, two draws, three losses, man, you were or draw. Um, you look at Southampton's home form. Last year, they were 14th in the league at home uh, with substantial draw bias. What do I mean by that? They were, um, the record last year at home, five, eight, and six. Five wins, eight draws, six losses. Those eight home draws are the highest in the Premier League by far. The next closest is six. And yes, that doesn't seem like a lot. But again, when you're talking about the majority of the league in the two to five range, or two to four range, and then you have a, a jump from six to eight, it is a lot. And eight draws is, is, is 
you know, that's almost half their games um, at home were draws. So, you know, I think there is a real sort of draw bias here. But at the end of the day, um, it's also a good spot for United. At home against top six, Southampton is 1-2, drawn two, lost six in their past ten. Um, you know, we saw their 1-2 their loss to Liverpool in week two. Um, and, and they really haven't been that good to start the season. I mean, a, a 3-0 loss to Burnley in week one. I just mentioned the Liverpool game and then a 2-0 win to Brighton. But I believe it was a 10-man Brighton for a lot of the game. So nothing um, suggests to me that this is anything other than a United draw opportunity. Um, and then the last sort of important thing that I, that I always like to come back to is just beginning of season performance. Bottom half teams versus top six, match weeks one through six, past five seasons. Their record is, and this is at home, bottom half at home to top six, 13 wins, 19 draws, 70 losses, 7-0 losses. So that's almost 70 out of 100, 70 out of 102 for those keeping score at home. This is a great spot for a top six team to go in and win. And as I stated, United as a team has one more away versus Saints than any other team. So at the end of the day, um, we're, we're a little discouraged by how United have failed to capitalize on their opportunities. So we're going to make this a smaller play than it usually would be. But this is a classic spot. One unit on the United victory, half a unit total. Draw protection, typically we'd go a quarter unit. But because this is a draw bias heavy game, we are going to go a half on the draw. So let's, uh, let's do a prediction. I'm going to go with the 1-1 one, one draw, although I think um, this could easily be a 2-1 United type type game and I think they do start to figure out um, some of their woes and do not be surprised this is not necessarily a hot take but do not be surprised if there is another penalty and if it's converted by who I think will be the penalty taker in Paolo Pogba 2-1 United 1-1 draw one of those two we get home either way let's keep it going and that brings us to the big, at least on paper, game of the week. The North London Derby. How are you? Arsenal, Spurs at the Emirates. Big game. Sunday morning. We got the, the Gunners coming in as plus 140 favorites on the three-way. You got Spurs coming in at plus 190. And the draw closing, at least for now, at the plus 250, plus 255 range. This is an interesting game. Um, you know, typically you look, to, you look to take a side. You look to have confidence in a side. Um, but this one is one of those classic, both uh, uncertain type plays but more importantly this is a draw game gosh is this a classic draw game um you know you look at you look at uh we'll start with arsenal okay arsenal last year great at home third in the league 14 3 and 2 14 wins three draws two losses plus 26 goal differential really really solid um I, I, for the whole year and they were also pretty good against uh at home against top six four wins three draws three losses uh, so pretty balanced, pretty balanced there, as expected. Um, but what we're really seeing here is, well, let me back up. Gunners have been pretty good to start the year, right? Oh, uh, 1-0 win Newcastle uh, away opening day. A 2-1 victory against Burnley, although they really should not be conceding against Burnley, but that's okay. And then a 3-1 loss to Liverpool. That's expected. You know, what are you, you going to do against one of the best teams in the world? Um, but you, you look and you say, okay, well, why am, why am, you know, Arsenal's good at home and, and, you know, what, why would this be a draw opportunity if that's the case? Well, you, you, you find that when you start to go deeper. So in the past five meetings of these two, um, the, the draw in the past five meetings at the Emirates, excuse me, um, Arsenal has gone two, three, zero. 
two wins, three draws, zero losses. Uh, so, so we have seen an ability not to lose at home, but it has been mostly, um, obviously, the majority of those outcomes being the draw. Furthermore, and this is really sort of the more important one, um, in the last 10 games against Spurs, they've won just twice, but there's been five draws. So two wins, five draws, three losses, half the meetings coming in draws. And let's remember, you know, these draws are plus 250 plus, you know, coming in in the 25 to 30 percent implied probability range. And they're happening half the time. So just on that, you know, in a back of the envelope kind of thing, you're saying, OK, well, maybe there's a bit of an opportunity here given now, of course, this is a big given, right? It's a big F given that the past sort of represent, not represents, but that the past is similar to the future. The reason why I'm citing all this is because the teams are very similar. Um, they played a lot over the past couple of years and not much has changed in, in, from a roster perspective in terms of who the really important players are and, and who sort of the key players are um, to, to, to suggest that um, we're looking at a completely different situation here between two teams that frankly are, are very evenly matched. Um, you know, you, before I keep going on the head to head, let me get to Spurs real quick. Spurs, how disappointing can you be? I mean, we are really, really shocked by the, the one nil, uh, loss last week to Newcastle. I mean, again, as I've talked about first loss since 1991, I mean, truly that was arguably one of the biggest shocks in the Premier League over the past couple of seasons. There's no doubt about it. They were over 10 to one on the three way and, and they beat them one zero. So uh, really disappointed in how Spurs looked and really how they, how they look in general, especially in the midfield. You know, Christian Eriksen, he wants to leave. And so you're seeing that and you're going, well, he's sort of the key to the team, at least in my opinion, and he wants to leave. So how is there going to be cohesiveness? How are they going to be a unit uh, given that that's sort of the setup? And, of course, they got Son back and Harry Kane's you know, still a beast and they're still a good team, but... I think without Erickson, this team is, is, is really not very dangerous. And I'd see them sort of falling into that five and six spot if he doesn't play well this year or if he's disinterested this year, which, you know, as of, as of late or at least to start the season, it, it certainly appears that he is disinterested, uh, at least to a degree. Um, Spurs, though, have a horrific history here against Arsenal. And you're sitting there going, okay, yeah, they lost, you know, maybe 8 of 10 or it's bad or whatever. No, no, no. In the past 26 visits to Arsenal, to the Emirates, 26, they've won once. One win in 26 visits. One win, 10 draws, 15 losses. And of course, you know, you go back and, and some of that maybe is, is too far to use or, 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 you know, it's a completely different roster, et cetera, et cetera. But still, I mean... That is a big enough sample size to say there's something going on here. They are not comfortable at the Emirates. It's not that in this North London Derby game. It is not uh, a good place for them, and they've shown that over and over again. But I mean, I, I think you know, you, you look at that and you say, okay, well that's interesting. You know, ten draws uh, mixed in there. Um, because the, the 15 losses are somewhat more explainable given the fact that Arsenal has been uh, a much better team historically um, than Tottenham, who have really come on in the past, you know, five, six years or whatever you want to call it. Whereas, you know, Arsenal, you talk about, you know, with T Thierry Henry and, and, and Arsene Wenger and, you know, they just have a great deal of history there. So some of that's explainable, but still, I mean, that's a, that's a big enough sample size to be worried. Furthermore, you look at our, uh, Spurs away at top six sides, not good. Two wins, one draw, seven losses. That's seven out of ten uh, of the meetings have, have ended in a loss. And then finally, um, you know, again, I like to talk about early season performance. Top six at home to other top six in match weeks one through six in the past five years. 19 wins, 18 draws, 14 losses extremely balanced clearly but again what you're seeing is huge draw bias i mean to have 18 draws um out of you know what is that 51 games that's substantial substantial stuff so you know look it i think it would sort of be easy to say spurs in disarray arsenal solid at home um you know arsenal dominant uh, in the meetings at home, they they scored uh, they, you know they scored four, um, 
last season. And, and then you have, you know, Spurs who have, have, you know, conceded goals to Villa and conceded goals to Newcastle. So you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to let in goals here. Um, I know that sounds easy to say that, you know, Arsenal, this is a good spot for them. But I think what, we've, what we learned from Spurs, right, is there's just a very mercurial, volatile side. And they're difficult to cap. And, you know, when they, when they are in a great spot on paper... Um, they lose, like, like last week. And when they're in a horrible spot on paper, like against City, they get in a good result uh, with a 2-2 draw. And, um, you know, this is a horrible spot on paper, and the team seems to be in disarray. And, you know, they again, they've lost their last two visits to, to the Emirates big time. And um, But I, 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 this is a draw game. This is a classic draw game. And I think we just have to be disciplined in the sense that um, – we're not going to take Arsenal just because it looks good. Yeah, they, they may win, and they should win for what it's worth. They should win, and then you know, the favorite, the justified favorites. Um, but this is a draw game, and we're not going to force it. And, you know, it, it, we'll look at, you know, Sunday and see if anything's changed in terms of lineup and injuries and what the coaches are saying. But as of now, classic draw game. Look to get some substantial position on the draw Um with the with the sort of draw insurance games leading up to it, and of course, if the draw insurance fails, which is a good thing at the end of the day because that means that our sides were winners. Um, if the draw insurance fails, then we will certainly have a position on the draw for this game. I'm going one one draw. Harry Kane with the goal for Spurs, and. And Lacazette over Obama Yang. Lacazette with the goal for the Gunners. 1-1 draw. Last but certainly not least, the biggest game of the weekend by far. The biggest game in Europe by far. Not even close. Yes, I'm looking at you, North London Derby. Not even in the same ballpark as the big game. And for it, we're going to leave England. Get your plane tickets, strap in, buckle the seatbelt. Because for this, we're going to Turin. We're going to Italy for the huge, huge opener. Juventus versus their little brother, Napoli. This is a big, big game for a lot of reasons. You look at Juventus, winners of seven straight Scudettos, meaning the winner of Italian's domestic league, Serie A, seven in a row. And who's been right behind him the whole time? Competing in Champions League, right on their heels, nipping at their heels, trying to do to, to win Syria is Napoli, their little brother. Now, when you dig into this, there's a lot of different angles to approach it from. But the first is just very strategic and, and, and sort of just a nature of business type argument. And here's how it goes. Juventus are notorious, notorious fast starters. Why? Because they don't have any other responsibilities and commitments that take up their time. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean one thing, Champions League. Once the Champions League gets started and starts to get into its latter stages, Juventus change their priority. They change their prioritization from the domestic league, Serie A, to winning the Champions League. Because at the end of the day, that's their big goal. As one of the biggest clubs in Europe... Their goal is not to win the domestic league. That is a goal, but it's a secondary goal. The primary goal is winning Champions League. This is true of most of the big European giants. PSG, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, etc. Now, Juventus, in the beginning of the season, when they don't have to think about Champions League, will have all their best players going in the starting 11. They'll look to establish dominance and get out to a good lead in Serie A, so they have a bit of a cushion and don't have to play as many high pressure, uh, high intensity games when Champions League is going. Uh, they won't have to play as many high pressure domestic games. So because of that, they usually hit the ground running um, in the domestic play. And again, this is all due to the fact that they know that they're going to have to, you know, have, have a lot of squad rotation, get their B players playing in domestic games. Uh, to save their A players for Champions League. That's not true right now. This is where they go all in 
establish the lead, establish the cushion, and use their best players to do it. So that's sort of the first part, the sort of strategic high-level part. The next is the fact that Juventus, and look, let me say one thing. Yes, Juventus is one of my teams. Uh, there's certainly a bias here, um, and that's an admitted bias on, on how good they are and, and how special they are from a formation, from a talent, from a roster, from a history perspective. But so we're going to take a look at this unbiased. I mean, we're going to take a look at this pure numbers, pure trends. And immediately, we're going to see sort of the, the, the framework here, the approach here, the angle here. And that really is a huge, huge, huge spot for Juventus. Uh, in the past 11 meetings between Juventus and Napoli, Juve are 8-1-2. and two. That's eight wins, one draw, and two losses. And have gone 4-0-1, oh, four wins, zero draws, one loss uh, at home in the past five meetings. Now, yes, that is, you know, one of those was a loss, and that's important to say. But before that, they had won seven of their last eight, or excuse me, including that, they had won seven of their last eight at home versus Napoli. So real dominance, real sort of, you know, history of they get up for this game. And I think that's something we know about their players. We know about, you know, the top guys, whether it's Ronaldo or, 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 or you know, Chiellini or Benucci or any of these guys, they get up for the big ones. And there's no bigger than this in terms of Serie A in, in this, you know, mini title decider, if you will. Yes, it's early, but maybe not the most unfair thing in the world to call it that. Okay. As we move on, you look, you know, they, they faced Napoli three times in the home openers. They've won all three. That's, you know, not necessarily the most surprising. They're a great home team. We know all about that. Um, but when you dig in, it's really uh, incredible to see how big of a home team uh, bias there actually is here and how good they actually are at home. What do I mean? Over the past five seasons... Juventus are an incredible 21-2-2 at home to sides, not just in the league, but sides who finish in the top six. 21 wins, two draws, two losses, 21 out of 25 against top six. What does that say? They get up for the good teams at home, plain and simple. And, you know, yeah, it's just expected that they're going to have a good record. They're Juventus, they're the best, one of the best teams in the world, some of the best players in the world. But that level of dominance against the other best team says something. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but it's Juventus prioritizes big games. They, look, they, they overlook smaller teams and they, and they properly estimate, I don't want to say underestimate, but properly estimate good teams. And they get ready for them and they prepare and they game plan and they win. Plain and simple. So, you know, you, you look at that, you look at that record, right? And you think, okay... Um, they're going to be huge favorites here, minus 150. No, I say huge favorites. They're going to be favorites here, minus 150, minus 160, no problem. To see them at even money, given their, given their talent, given their playing strength, is absolutely shocking. And it, especially when you consider that this time of the season is when they most prioritize Serie A. This could not be a better price. It, I, in my opinion, is dramatically mispriced. There's a dramatic sort of, you know... Yeah, over respect for Napoli and don't get me wrong I'll touch on why they're good and they are good but there is nowhere near the level of respect giving being given to this Juventus team given all of the above couple more things I talked about the 21 victories at home 11 have come to nil so you know we're not necessarily going to be on the win to nil but what does that show the defense also steps up in the most important games um you know how many how many different numbers or examples do you need to see? These are the types of game games who Ventus win. Uh, the 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 sort of next extension of it is, you know, you look at the head to heads in the last eight meetings. You know, I talked about they've won seven in the last eight at home against Napoli. In the last eight meetings overall, Napoli hasn't scored more than once. Let me repeat that. In the last eight meetings at overall. Napoli hasn't scored more than once at the Allianz. One win, seven losses. So you, know, you look at that and you say, okay, well, if that's our assumption, can this Juventus team get two goals? No question. They have an embarrassment of riches in the midfield with Matuidi and Pajanic and Aaron Ramsey and, and the new signing from PSG, Adrian Rabio. And, and it, you know, you look at that and you say, 
the great midfield. We know who's up front with Ronaldo and Dybala and Super Mario. You know, you still have that famous defense, and, you know, Alexandro seems to be healthy. And, you know, that at every position, right, this Juventus team is ready to go, and they're ready to play good football, and they're ready to dominate. And I think when you look at, you know, the Napoli side, also an excellent side. And that was, you know, they're still a great team, whether it's Insigne, whether it's Dries Mertens up front. And let's not forget, they have arguably the best defender in the world, other than Virgil van Dijk, in Koulibaly. And it's going to be so fun to see Koulibaly go against Ronaldo uh, in a battle of, you know, simply two of the best players in the world. Forget about their positions. Um but with all that being said, in a combined starting 11 here, there's no way that Napoli is going to get more than three players in the, in, in the field, uh, three, four players maximum. And when you think about the roster, you think about the talent, you think about the historical trends, you think about the risk reward. Gosh, how do you not love Juve here? How do you not love Juve to get their season started on the highest of notes, which is a huge victory against Napoli? Um, the answer to that sort of rhetorical question, which I always love to throw out there, is we do love Hoover here. Uh, absolute no-brainer. 2-0. Uh, Cristiano gets a header in the first half on, on one of his famous headers coming out of nowhere on a, on a decent cross. And then the second, as Napoli presses, I'm, gonna, I'm calling for second half, Napoli presses. Uh, Juve withstands the pressure, hits him on the counter, collapses on Cristiano, passes it off for a Dybala second goal. Juve to win, will have significant draw protection, but Juve to win, Forza Juve, let's go, and let's have a wonderful and successful and profitable European Saturday. Let's go.